Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today we're looking at Psalm 8, and as it just so happens, this is a perfect psalm that fits in within the broader context of what we're discussing this week, which is ancient Near Eastern cosmology, because we see a direct reference to this idea of the heavens, the earth, and the sea right here in Psalm 8. So we're going to kind of approach this psalm from that perspective because it ties in so well with uh, our topic for this week. But broadly, this psalm is really about how creation reflects and declares the glory and the wisdom of God. And in verse 2, we see that God's glory, or a better way to, to maybe translate it or another way to understand it is his greatness, is above the heavens. And again, as we just talked about in yesterday's episode, this idea of the heavens being a a part of creation that sort of is separated from the earth, or at least the upper heavens would have been where God's throne room is. And yet, according to the psalmist in verse 2, God is even greater than, than that, even the place where he alone dwells. God is greater than the most awesome aspects of creation even the unseen ones. And I think for us, even in our modern understanding and scientific view of the the cosmos and the universe, we should still echo what the psalmist is saying here, that as we in our uh, current understanding, as we think about deep space and the galaxies and the nebulas and just the billions upon billions of galaxies, which each consist of billions and billions of stars, and the the black holes and just the amount of just raw energy that is being uh, dumped out into the universe or sucked in through these black holes and just all the the just sheer scale of creation as we now know it which is staggering it still holds true that god is above even the most awesome aspects of creation that these are subject to his will and his whim and that they come from his mind and his wisdom. And so as awe-inspiring as creation can be, God should be more awe-inspiring because he is the author of all of it. So in verse 3, we see that the heavens are paired with the sun and the moon and the stars, which are set in place. And this is an interesting idea that I think in our modern context we might skip over. The ancients not only understood the sun, moon, and stars to be sort of the luminary bodies in the night sky or in the daytime with the sun as as we would understand them today, but even back to the Genesis account, the sun and moon and stars were, as we discussed a few weeks ago, basically the functionaries that God put in place over the function of day and night morning and evening, and the passage of time and seasons. But the ancients also understood or thought that heavenly bodies, like stars and planets, were also in some sense heavenly beings that ruled over the heavenly realm. 
And they thought this because as they observed the night sky, they noticed that stars and planets, they moved. They had their own path, their own course throughout the sky. They weren't fixed and stationary. And so the thinking went that because they moved and seemingly under their own direction, they must be beings. They must have some sort of intelligence. And so in the ancient thinking, even though it's not accurate to say uh, by our standards today, there was a close association between the heavenly bodies and heavenly beings. And even though as moderns we would reject the direct correlation between those two, we can accept that there are certainly heavenly beings that are intelligent and that do have their own uh, wills and desires and that are taking their own actions, good or bad, and that these do fall right under God's purview, just as the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, all do as well. So even though there's a separation there, the idea is really just the same, that the stars and heavenly beings are sort of ruling over the the realm, the heavenly realm, under God's direction. And I say that because this idea of them being set in place, which we see in verse 3, that word can, or that phrase rather, can also be understood as figurative language for uh, kingdom talk of that they are in the sense of spiritual beings being given kingdom authority or ruling authority over their realm, which is the heavens. And yet God is the head of all of them. So in verses four through eight, we see a shift in thinking that God has decided to make man you and me, and to put him at the center of his plans for all of creation. And this is just something that the psalmist finds amazing. He marvels at that God gave mankind rulership and authority over basically all things seen. And we we see that because in the language in verses four through eight, you'll notice that the earth, heaven, and the sea are all mentioned together, which again, in Israelite thinking, would have encompassed everything. That's all of creation. So the the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, those are all three realms. And so it is no understatement to say that our stewardship over creation is a great gift. And that is how the psalmist saw it. And it's one to praise God for, that God is both good to us for creating us and for giving us such a great stewardship and responsibility over creation, but he's also good for making all of these things. And so no matter which angle you look at things, when you look at creation itself or the fact that we as mankind have been given such a great responsibility and and role to play within creation, God is rightly to be praised and worshiped because of just how amazing his creation is. So I hope that this psalm causes you to reflect more deeply on the the amazing creation and also to thank God that we as his creatures have been allowed to participate with him in it.